Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. Yeah, I am excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Dave Brock, founder of Partners in Excellence. Dave's a great blogger. If you're not reading his blog, you should be reading his blog. He's a sales coach, consultant, speaker. So we're going to talk a little bit about discovery today, maybe about value and about process. You know, these are buzzwords out there that sales in sales that seem to have about as many meetings as our people that use them. But modern selling, I think, demands something more informed, more nuanced in your understanding of the customer and how you discover their goals, help them discover their goals and objectives, and work with them to help them achieve their objectives. And my guest today, Dave Brock, is going to help us sort this all out. Dave, how are you doing? Really well. I really appreciate you inviting me to be part of this series. It's, uh, I've listened to a few of them. They're really exciting and I've always enjoyed our talks together, Andy, so I, I'm, I'm delighted to be a part of this. Well, I'm delighted that you joined me. So before we get into that, just take a minute introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, I'm Dave Brock. I run a, a boutique consulting company called Partners in Excellence. There are about 15 of us scattered around the world, and we do primarily kind of business strategy or customer-facing uh, type strategies for organizations, so a lot of sales, marketing, customer experience and those kinds of things. And we serve kind of a, a global, I'll call it global 1000 type of uh, client base. Got it. Got it. So, and you've been blogging how long? Oh, geez. Uh, I think back to 2009, so about six years or so. Wow. Wow. How many blog posts do you think you've written? I, th I was taking a look. I think it's somewhere around 1400 right now. I, tr I Theoretically, I do about 4.7 blog posts uh, uh, a week, but you can tell when I'm on heavy travel weeks when it kind of drifts down to two or three. So, well, given given how much you travel, you are I'm always amazed how productive you are. So that's that's fantastic. Now, you recently wrote a blog about discovery and how the sort of paradigm that has existed forever about discovery has really changed, and that you said that uh, asking a customer about their pain points is really the wrong approach that no longer aligns with the buyer's journey. So t tell me what you meant. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, if we kind of go back to how many of us were trained in maybe classic solution selling, we engage the customer and we talk about, 
their needs or requirements or a lot of the, the jargon. I remember when I went through one of these solution selling classes some uh, number of years ago was, you know, tell us about your pain. And, um, you know, and at the time that seemed to be pretty good. We were pretty con uh, converting from kind of product based show up and throw up type stuff to more solution stuff, more consultative selling approaches. And so the discovery process of, you know, asking a customer about their needs, asking them about their problems, and asking them about their pain seemed to be really appropriate approaches. Um, and as you kind of fast forward into today, um, you have some real problems if, if what you're starting with is the customer's business pain. Um, you know, and I, I've outlined really kind of two extremes of the kind of uh, scenarios you get into. One is where uh, the customer may contact you or, the, or you may contact the customer and, and the customer says, yeah, we've been researching this stuff. We really have a need for whatever it is you sell. I'd like to talk to, to you about it. And, you know, by the time you've got them there, it's that kind of proverbial 57 to 70% through their buying process. They know what their pain is. They've quantified it. They've articulated it. And they're looking for solutions. They're looking to get out of that pain. So, so you've intercepted them late, and trying to ask them about the pain is really going to annoy them and piss them off. They said, you know, all I care about is, you know, here's what I need for a solution. Can you help me with that? You know, so that's kind of one extreme. So it says that intersecting them at that point with pain questions pisses them off and is really inappropriate for where they are in the buying cycle. Yeah, when I think that, that from my perspective, I've always disliked the, the pain question because to me it, it always seems to be a bit trivial, right? Because I mean, to me, at least with my experience, and I've sold some extremely large ticket items in my career as well as you know, things as small as women's shoes, in which case people did have pain, but um, <laughs> is that people are more likely when they're buying something, they're, they're trying to achieve something, right? They're not necessarily trying to escape pain. They're trying to achieve and aspire to something. I mean, to me, buying has always been a much more affirmative act than, than curing an ill. Once they're into buying motion, yeah, they're doing it because they've said, this is a goal that we're trying to achieve. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the change we want to make. So again, you know, they're fo focusing on the future state and where they want to be. And exactly. by us talking about the pain, we're talking about the current state. I do think validating that is important, but I think you have to be cautious in this scenario where the customer is well through their buying cycle and, and presumably fairly smart. I think you have to be very careful how you, you bring that up. Um, you so know, what, how would you how would you recommend that? Well, I mean, basically, what you have to do is is customers may get into buying motions, um, but until they they consider their current state absolutely unacceptable, we can no longer operate the way we are. It's unacceptable for us to be doing what we're doing right now. We have to change. Until you, you find that uh, the customer saying, we have to change. Um, too often we focus and they focus on that future state. And then when you start looking at the issues around doing that change management, if you look at them being able to sell what they want to do to their management, 
you never get get to this issue of saying, you know, that the consequences of doing nothing are greater than the change that, that we're going to be going through. So at some point through the sales process, you really have to lock in this whole issue of what are the consequences of doing nothing. I don't think that's what's your pain question. I think that's really getting into their business issues, their business challenges, and, and what's caused them to enter into this buying motion, start doing the research, and start entertaining salespeople. Um, yeah, and I, I think to sort of buttress your point a little bit, at least in my mind, is that when someone asks about the pain, is, is you're really talking about something that's almost like a, a point in time, right? Right. And right. to you, the point you made before, if the customer has sort of already acknowledged what that pain is and has moved into their buying process, yeah, you seem like you're really focused to them. You seem like you're focusing on the wrong thing, and they're going to say, well, maybe you can't add the value to this process that I need in order to move forward. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think, I think what we're doing is that's kind of a variant of kind of the classic approach to, to selling where we intercept the customer somewhere along the line where what they've done is they've considered we have a problem, we want to change, we have a goal that we want to achieve, we need to do some things to achieve those goals. But the customer has through some uh, fashion uh, come up with uh, the fact that they need to change themselves. And I think that today that represents a minority of the opportunity that really sits out there for salespeople to pursue. Okay, you know, so the other one is? Well, I think the other one is, is, is you know, getting the customer to recognize that what they're doing is not the best of what they could do, or, or they're missing opportunities, or they're new ways of doing things. And if you look at, at the plight of, of today's customer, is they're so busy doing their day-to-day -day work. You know, they're, they're, they're so busy fighting the alligators, if you will, that they don't recognize that the swamp's filling up and they got to pump the water out. And so what we as salespeople can do is really kind of come into the customer and whether you call it provocation or insight or something, we can talk to them about something, you know, you're I know you're busy doing your job every day. You're doing everything you can to survive, blah, 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 blah. But did you realize this? Did you realize that you could, you know, change the way you operate and improve your efficiencies, profitability, or those sorts of things? Or that you're missing some opportunities with customers or with new markets and so on and so forth? So in some sense, it's creating a new awareness of something that they haven't realized before. And that kicks them off into a buying motion that they had never intended to get in before until they heard from you and realized there's a goal that we want to go after. There's something better that we can achieve. And they say, today's operation is no longer acceptable for us. We have to change. That's where you offer leadership. That's where you drum up the brand new opportunities, and that's where you now start establishing, you know, your leadership and help guide them through that buying process. Yeah, and I think what, what you're talking about to some degree, and, and what I see, is that there's really been sort of a role reversal, if you will, over the past, you know, n number of years. I'm not sure exactly what that number is, but, but it used to be that salespeople were a little more tactical in their outlook, and the customers were a little more strategic. And what you're saying is that now we're in many cases, where the customers are so busy and so engaged, 
with what they're they're doing that it's really up to the sales person to be a little more strategic leading and the customers are focused a little on the tactical and it's for the salesperson to draw them from the tactical to the strategic that's exactly it i mean we used to go around looking for customers that had problems and wanted to do something about it and and nowadays we want to go look for customers that have problems and don't recognize that they have problems so for the average sales rep out there what do they do what do they have to do to arm themselves to be able to do that because it's certainly a, a point of contention and discussion within the industry is that uh, you know it seems like there's so few a thin strata of sort of high performing reps that really have that capability of going out and providing that type of uh, inspiration and leadership and insight to you know move customers sort of from their status quo to a change yeah i i think i i think too few people are executing this kind of approach. I think, though, that we tend to, to probably overcomplicate it. I mean, one is it does require really good business acumen in the sense of you know how businesses work, you know how, how to look at a business and start things, for instance, uh, analyzing uh, an income statement or analyzing a, a cash flow statement or analyzing a balance sheet and say, aha, you know, this organization isn't performing as well as its peers. You know, maybe there's something there that we can do something and improve on. Or it's things like understanding trends of what's happening in the, in the industry and saying, you know, what are the movers and shakers doing and what is this customer missing by not doing some of the same things? So it, it may be as simple as bringing in an idea of saying, do you realize you know, one of the, the, the big players in your industry is looking at doing these things, and this is the potential impact to you? So it, it, is, it does require good business acumen. It does require looking at things through the customer's eyes in understanding what's happening to their business, to their markets, to their customers, and raising their awareness about it. So how do you see this sort of being reconciled with certain trends we see within, the, again, the sales industry where increasingly we have these specialized roles that, that take place, you know, our sales development reps, our account execs, account managers, customer success managers, that tend to be a little more transactional, the way it's set up to some degree. Is, is how, do you, how do you fit this type of business acumen and, and insights into that type of model? Yeah, I, 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 that's a really tough question, and I think, I think when you look at a lot of these movements to BDRs and SDRs and so on and so forth, that is a very transactional kind of thing, you know, and a lot of that is resp uh, perhaps response to some inbound kind of activities, so p people download a white paper or you start seeing, you know, certain kinds of activity uh, where, with customers hitting on your content and you do an outbound call responding to that activity, and, and you can craft your, your message there. I think, the, I think the places where you start this, and I don't think any organization should do this kind of on a blanket basis and say every salesperson go out and do this. I think that the, the places where you start this are perhaps with some of your key accounts and the account team. You know, and the account team is looking at how do we expand our share of customer, how do we expand our penetration of the customer? And they really start looking at what's happening in the customer. I remember early in my career, uh, I had a major account and 
you know, I'd sold them every single thing I possibly could have, and I was still running about 20 million short of my quota. And so I started wandering around the accounts, seeing what they did, and lo and behold, I stumbled upon a credit card operation, and I started looking at some things, and I talked to the VP in charge, and I said, I think there's some ways you can improve the efficiency of it. It was something, um, nothing more than that. And he said, tell me more. So I think we can do that just by being naturally curious and wandering around in our accounts. So I think that's a really good starting point. Well, I, think I, think, a, I think it's a great point because I think that that is a challenge. Even in some of the more transactional sales, is once they get into account, though, they're looking to increase the account value. And... Yeah, you know, it's sometimes hard to do that remotely. Sometimes you got to go, as you said, be a foot on feet on the street, wandering through the account, meeting people, seeing what some of the requirements are. I think you know, you know, it's I, I don't know whether it was Tom Peters or uh, uh, coined the phrase management by walking around. Yeah, yes, Tom, Tom Peters. Yeah, and, yeah, I believe in selling by walking around. So you know, wander around in your account, see what's happening. You know, so often in that in that same very very large account. I identified deals just by talking to person at, at you know on one floor of 55 Water Street and then going to another floor of 55 Water Street and said, "Did you know this is what's happening up you know five floors above you?" And they'd say, "Oh my God, I didn't know this. I need to do something about it." And by the way, it was something I could help them do. You know, so so again, this kind of insight sometimes becomes very simple. I think there's another way to to start looking at this. So we look outside of the, the major accounts or key accounts, I think in so many of our large organizations, we're starting to put in place specialized overlay, overlay salespeople. So a person that may focus on, say, marketing automation, really know the issues going on in marketing automation, really know what's happening in the marketplaces, in the industry, what the real trends are, and why customers should be paying attention. So we can leverage those sales specialists in talking to their counterparts, say a CMO in an account, in educating them and helping them learn that the world is changing. You know, in the old world of, of you know, seven-color postcards in people's mailboxes to dear occupant or current resident isn't really very effective anymore, and there's some new ways of doing things. Have you ever learned about those? Um, you know, so, so I think there are a number of different ways. I think, you know, trying to get our BDRs and SDRs to do that kind of thing requires a level of knowledge and experience that is probably tough for them to do first out. I think as, as maybe the area that you're working into becomes uh, more of kind of a, a, a normal thing, I think you can bring them into some of those discussions. But I think these really have to be led by account managers or more senior experienced salespeople going out prospecting, going out finding opportunities. Within their existing account base. Within, within their existing Absolutely. account base, within their territory. Yep. You know, it's, uh, I remember the old days I used to have at, at one point in my career manufacturing accounts and I did this thing called smokestack hunting. I'd be driving down the road and I'd look for smokestacks and if there is a smokestack it meant there was something there I could sell. Yeah, I mean I'd, I'd work with companies we'd do something similar. We were selling in, like in, in the Silicon Valley area we'd, we'd count cars in the parking lot. Exactly, exactly. And then 
You know, and you can do that virtually these days. I mean, you don't have to literally be driving down the road counting smokestacks, but there's so many good research tools and business intelligence tools that enable you to start identifying, here's a customer that kind of fits the profile of our sweet spot. You know, let me find a way to talk to, to the right people in those customer and talk to them about important issues going on in the industry. Got it. Okay, we're going to take a short break. But before we do, I've got a hypothetical question for you. I pose this to every one of my guests. So I'll take your answer when we come back from the break. And here's, here's the scenario. You're a brand new sales manager, been hired into a company whose sales desperately need to be turned around. Senior management that hired you really has a lot of focus on this. They want things to happen quickly. So what two things would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? So think about that. And I'll be back after the break with my guest, Dave Brock. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today is Dave Brock, founder of Partners in Excellence, a global boutique consulting firm. So before I went to the break, Dave, I posed my hypothetical scenario for you. New sales manager coming on board to a company. Things need to turn around in a hurry. What two things would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? The first thing I would do, and part of this is, you know, getting to know your team and what's going on. So the first thing I'd do is I'd really focus on the pipeline. And I'd focus on what's in the pipeline in building a high-integrity pipeline. Oftentimes when we get involved with people whose sales aren't, aren't going very well, we look at the pipeline and the pipeline is, is filled with garbage. I just, I, I, yesterday I was involved with a client in Silicon Valley and it was a, a, our second meeting, and I was looking at, and they were having trouble, and I was looking at the pipeline. And by the time we finished it, there was something like uh, over a thousand opportunities. We had reduced the pipeline by about 40%. And the problem is, part of the problem with their performance is time was being sucked up by chasing bad deals. They were poorly qualified deals, they were the wrong deals. There were stalled deals that we would never have won before, but because they were in the pipeline, salespeople were investing time on those and not on, t on the deals that were real deals, high-quality high deals that they could go and win. So the first thing I do is start uh, looking at cleaning the pipeline and getting a really high-integrity pipeline. And a, a question on the insert is, is, so the company you're dealing with in Silicon Valley, were there metrics in place for managers that had something to do with size of the pipeline? There, actually, in this company, it was kind of interesting. There were actually no pipeline metrics in place, which oh. was part of their performance <laughs> problem. Right. Um, but, you know, you find, you find all sorts of different things. You know, you find managers edicting. Uh, I have another very, very large software company, managers edict uh, four times coverage of the pipeline. Well, mm -hmm. I'm a salesperson. I can break that code really easily. I reduce the quality of, of the my prospect. Yeah. Right, right. I can always 
tell me a coverage, uh, a pipeline coverage uh, number I have to hit, and I can, I can overachieve that quota. If you <laughs> that's, want that's a beautiful four times, <laughs> if you want four times, I can fill it with five times, but it's going to be crap. Right. You know, so the first thing a manager should do, or any manager should do, is make sure that there's quality opportunity in the pipeline. So it may be a much smaller pipeline, but it's good deals, it's solid deals that you should have a high probability of winning. The second thing I'd look at is somewhat related to the pipeline, but more kind of the top of the pipeline piece, the prospecting and qualification, is get people to, when people are in trouble, they cast a wider net. You know, if, mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if I'm not making my sales, I'm going to look further and further afield just to find deals so I can be busy and active and, you know, get that into my pipeline. And then I start degrading the quality of my pipeline. So what I want to do is I want to focus my sales team in their prospecting. I want to focus them on the sweet spot in vicious disqualification. So what I want to see them doing is getting the right deals in. The fastest way for me to improve my win rate is to do a much better job of disqualification. No, oh, I agree 100%. In fact, yes. I, got, I got a chapter about that in a book. <laughs> okay. So, 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 you know, those are the first two actions. So they really start driving high-quality deals and deals that are, are, are based on your experience of where you win. You know, so you start buying yourself some time um, in improving sales performance, then, and then you have to go out prospecting. But again, you narrow it rather than casting a wider net. You say these are the customers that I'm going to go after and prospect, and I'm not going to waste time. You still there, Dave? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we lost the tail end of that last. You said you weren't going to waste time. Oh, I'm not going to waste time on people outside that sweet spot. Yeah. Well, I think it's an interesting point, and it's worth spending some time on that, is that this whole issue of qualification and disqualification is, because it's still, I think, a foreign concept to too many sales reps, is that, yeah, you actually are looking for reasons to disqualify prospects in your pipeline. And right. Because it's to your advantage. You know, you're going to save time. You're going to have more time to spend on the right type of deals if you're more aggressive about saying, look, Maybe, yeah, maybe I qualified them once before, but qualification is not a one-time process. You have to continually requalify your prospects as you go through your sales process and their buying process because things change. You learn more information. They may no longer be suitable. Absolutely. And this whole concept of disqualification and doing this constantly through the process is kind of counterintuitive. And particularly if you go back to the, the premise of the question is we're in trouble, we're not making the deals... Uh, we, we aren't making the numbers. So, you know, managers are beating salespeople up to say, go out and find more deals, find more deals, find more deals. And so that's how we get into this kind of death spiral of, of reducing the quality of what we're looking at. So what you have to do is, is really protect yourself and as a manager, protect your team to say, ch- make sure you're chasing after the right deals. That's the fastest way to recovery than, you know, just getting more deals. Yeah, and I, mean, I like to put it in the context of you have, a, everybody knows what a vicious cycle is, right? It's sort of self-reinforcing <laughs> series of negative events. Well, there's a vicious sales cycle. You know, if you 
bring poorly qualified prospects, the wrong type of prospects, into your sales process. You're going to waste time on them. You're not going to close them. You go through this continuous cycle. Whereas if you, as you talked about, if you skinny it down, if you try yep. to, and I, I always believe that your pipeline really should be only as big as it needs to be and not much bigger. And, you know, you don't, not this whole idea about four times coverage and so on. To me, in many cases, it depends on the type of business, but that's overkill, right? I and mean, if you really are qualifying your prospects and they're the right type of prospects for you, you're not going to need four to one coverage. Because well, if, you're, if you're qualifying them for your product and what you're selling, I think the coverage can be a lot less. Well, if, if I look at our company as an example, since, since we advise people on these things, we better be very, very good at it ourselves. And so our pipeline only needs about uh, uh, 1.12 uh, or 12% uh, 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 right. Covered, uh, above extra the, coverage above 100 percent coverage, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. We have we have very high win rates, and we have I mean, and we only focus on deals where we have a high probability of winning. So we don't need a huge number of deals. You know, we should close about nine out of ten deals that we go after. Yeah, and it, people seem to think that this is unattainable for any type of business. The fact is, it's attainable for for a large fraction of businesses that are selling. Because qualification is not about qualifying a prospect to buy a product that's sort of like yours. It's about qualifying the prospect to buy exactly what you're selling. It's, it's trying to find the deals that were meant for you and not meant for somebody else. Yeah. And that's, that's very tough for us to admit and be honest about. Exactly. But what it lends itself to is, is you know, I used to be asked the question, and I still do by sales reps, you know, how many prospects do I need? And I said, well, you know, it's enough to, enough to get the job done and make quota and, and maybe one more. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, I think part of that, too, isn't salespeople's responsibility. It, it's, it goes back into marketing, product management, and even executive management. You've got to point. You've got to know what you're the best in the world of doing. What problems are you the best in the world at solving? And why and what value do you create for people that have those problems? And then the, the second piece is who has those problems? Once you define those things very well, you train the salespeople on do it and you point them in that direction and say, execute viciously. Yeah. Um, and, and I think too often salespeople are just pointed, pointed vaguely, you know, go that direction. There's some customers out there, find them and do something. You got to be very purposeful in how you point them because salespeople, point, trained the right way, pointed in the right direction, can accomplish great things. But if you aren't doing that for them, you know they aren't going to accomplish what they need to accomplish, and it's not their fault. Yeah, and I think the the great analogy, without delving too far into a, a cliche sports analogy, but is the difference between a pickup basketball game and an organized basketball game where you have plays and sets and so on. Yeah, you know you've got a playbook. Yeah, anybody can do a pickup basketball game, but you know, if you go up against a real team, you're going to lose. Right, and if you go against a team that that plays together consistently, that knows each other's strengths and weaknesses, that runs the plays and practices, you know, they're going to more consistently win over the people that just you know get together and and uh, and you know try it out. Right, even if they're the ones that are just getting together to try it out, maybe better athletes, but without the teamwork and the plays. Yeah, exactly. odds of going winning go down. Absolutely. Okay, well, we're going to move to the last segment of our show. 
I ask some rapid-fire questions. You give me one-word answers, or you can elaborate if you wish. So you ready? Sure. So what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Your ears. Ah, good. Name one tool you use for sales management that you can't live without. You got me stuck there. I, I think it's, it, again, my ears really listening and my eyes observing what my people are doing. Okay. Observing what your people are doing. Excellent. So who's your sales role model? Uh, it's actually a guy, probably not a lot of people would know him, a guy by the name of Buck Rogers, uh, not the comic book character. <laughs> the the but, galactic uh, hero. Buck was uh, the executive vice president of marketing at IBM in the 70s through early 80s. And there are a couple of things. One is people underestimated Buck. Buck was probably one of the most polished and most impactful presenters everybody, anybody ever saw. And so you'd see him in front of an audience of thousands of people and he'd captivate them. But I happened to work for Buck. And when I saw him in one-on-one -on -one meetings with customers, he was probably the best salesperson I'd ever seen. He was totally focused on them. He was engaged in probing deep into their businesses. You know, he was at such a level, he was a, an outstanding business person and really confident of his knowledge that he would push them to think very, very differently. So it was not the public persona of Buck, but it was more the watch him one-on-one -on -one in front of a customer working on a really, really tough problem. Great answer. What's the one book that every salesperson should read, sales book or not? Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> I love it. So, so why? Green Eggs and Ham covers all the fundamentals of solution or consul consultative selling that you'd ever need. And if you, you know, all of us have probably read it to our children and we know the Sam I Am kind of story and so on and so forth. But read, everybody should go out and get a copy of Green Eggs and Ham. If you think about it, Dr. Zeus used only 50 words in that book to convey some of the most powerful concepts of professional selling that you could ever imagine. So, so give us an example. Um, well, it's, you know, you see, Sam is, goes out, the initial half of the book is Sam is pitching. He says, buy my green eggs and ham, buy my green eggs and ham, buy my green eggs and ham. The second half of the book, he starts asking questions. Would you like them in a plane? Would you like them in a train? Would you like them in a car? Would you like them in a bar? I don't think he did bar, but... Uh, <laughs> Would you like uh, them in a box? Right. Yeah. And, and uh, so he started asking questions. He started probing to try and understand where and why a, a person might like to have green eggs and ham. So go back, and it takes you 15 minutes to read if you're a slow reader. But everybody should go back and look at it from a salesperson's point of view. What are the lessons that I can learn? They won't smack you in the face, but if you start studying it and saying, there's some really interesting consultative selling, a, a process going on that ends up being very sophisticated consultative selling, uh, people should read that. Love it. Great recommendation. I'm going to go reread it myself, as a matter of fact. So, yep. so what's your favorite music to listen to to pump yourself up? Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. Any particular song? 
Uh, I love, uh, you know, the latest album where they did the city, the tours uh, um, of all the cities and, and themes. I've forgotten the name of the album, but uh, they did New Orleans, Chicago, L.A., and Seattle and, and did, you know, themes that were coming from uh, Dave Grohl's study of musicians in the city. It's just a brilliant album and something that, you know, I have going on kind of in the background with heavy bass. Uh, uh, sometimes when I, I really need to get something done. Oh, excellent. Okay, so you can you can get work done while you're listening to lyrics. <laughs> well, I've listened to it so much time, I, I, I the, the, the lyrics are almost internalized. All right, good. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? Uh, I do, I actually uh, meditate. No, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I spend uh, 20 minutes, or actually 21 minutes and 30 seconds every day uh, meditating and just kind of clearing my mind and getting myself ready and, and, and focused on, on doing work. Last question for you. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? It's the wrong question, but it's how do I make more money? And your answer is? Is do the work. Huh, it's funny. It's that, that, that simple. Do they pay you a lot of money to give them that answer? <laughs> well, you've, you've made it an interesting idea. Maybe I should start charging them a, 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 a tenth of a point for all the, the incremental commissions they get. Well, there you go. Participation bonus. I like it. Yep. All right. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. My guest has been Dave Brock, founder of Partners in Excellence. So, Dave, could you tell people how to find out more about you? Yes, you can find me. My blog uh, is partnersinexcellenceblog, all one word, dot com. You can find me on Twitter at David A. Brock. You can email me at dabrock at e-x-c-e-l-l-e-n-c dot com. Or you can phone me at my mobile, plus one, 949-887-9946. Great. And we'll have all this information on the website as well. So, again, thanks for joining me today. Super. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. And friends, remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure that you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Dave Brock, who share their experience and expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.